Welcome to the Kitchen Sink Meeting of Overeaters Anonymous. Starting in July 2021, the meeting will be hybrid. You will still be able to attend the meeting via Zoom. Please go to the Los Angeles Intergroup's webpage at oalaig.org for login information. And now, our speaker. Um, my name is Bob. I'm a compulsive overeater, recreational sugar addict, uh, and your leader for this meeting. I wanted to start um, by reading something that was in for today a couple of days ago. Uh, recovery is no guarantee that we will be free of our disease six months or a year from now. Recovery, like abstinence, is attained one day at a time. For today, OE offers opportunity, not guarantees. That hit me like a ton of bricks because that is the truest statement ever in this program. The other thing was a couple of weeks ago in a share, uh, the leader said a broken brain can't fix a broken brain. And that says volumes of what my life was. Um, to give you a quick background, what it was like, what happened, what it's like now, I'm 10 years in the program, thank God. Um, I'm maintaining a 65 to 75 pound weight loss. Um, I would love to tell you that it's 75 all the time and keep going, but it's life on life's terms. Um, and uh, I didn't come into these rooms till I was 66 years old. So if you want to do the math, that's about 55 years of gluttony. There was no off switch in my life. Um, I was born a compulsive overeater. Um, a lot of kids, I remember that were sugar addicts and recreational sugar addicts all grew up. I've been 11 or 12 years old. Uh, I never did. I was a fat kid in the Husky department. You know, everybody's heard all the stories. Um, got into high school, played football, and they loved it because I was big and I worked out all Blue the time. In high school, um, but continue to eat. There's never an off switch. Um, what I learned in this program is my entire life I've had a hole inside of me that's two miles long that food was the only thing that could fill it. And it never did fill it, but I attempted to fill it with food. So got out of high school, wasn't good enough to play college football. So, so I stopped a lot of the exercising, and I grew up in a small town in Wisconsin where drinking was the big pastime. And I never really liked drinking, but I liked to eat. So I would go out and hang out with all my friends while they were drinking. I was eating. Uh, gained a lot of weight. Um, got into work. Um, and, you know, I just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. Um, came to California in the uh, mid-70s and, you know, the land of the beautiful people, and I was embarrassed to go to the beach. I was embarrassed with everything because of my weight. Um, so I started probably 25, 26, 27, a period, uh, and as I said, till 66, a period of intense exercise and dieting. And through that intense exercise and dieting, my low weight, well, I should also qualify, my high weight was 308. My lowest weight from extreme dieting and exercise was 195. But through this extreme exercise and dieting, 
for those 40 years, I was 195, 215, 225, 235, 245, 255, 265, 275, 28, up to 308, dieting and exercise. When you talk about a broken brain, can't fix a broken brain, that was me. I was the largest example of that known to mankind. Um, I had a very successful career. I was very lucky in my career. I was very successful. I had a family. I had all kinds of material things. I had anything and everything you wanted. But I was so unhappy inside. I was a false person. I had an exterior that showed confidence, happiness, everything inside, and I didn't realize till I got into this program. The first two years in this program, I heard about fear and fear and denial, and I thought, well, that's not me. I don't qualify for that. That's not what I, my life was like. And after more and more time studying this program, being a part of it, listening to my fellows, reading, listening to podcasts, reading the literature, my entire life was run by fear and denial. That was my life. Every single step of the way was based on fear and denial. So what happened? Um, I had an employee whose wife was a uh, caterer at a country club, and every year they had a big holiday party. So this is 2000. Oh, the, uh, yeah, 2011. So, um, actually, yeah. So, um, I went to this party, had massive amounts of food all over the place, and I went up to the dessert table. And as I'm walking up to the dessert table, there's two people in front of me. I'm probably 285 at the time. There's two people in front of me, one bigger than me, one about well, a little bit smaller than me. And they're getting fresh fruit. And there's like 15 things on this dessert table. And I go, you're not going to have dessert? And the guy, one guy said, I haven't had a sugary dessert in 10 years. That's when I was God-struck. Millions of times before that, doctors, friends, family, wife, daughter, everybody, try to help me with my weight. Again, what I've learned in this people is, Normal people have no concept of what a compulsive overeater is. Normal people don't under... When people would say to me, well, just eat half of it. Take the other half home and eat it later. Or, you know, just cut your portions down considerably. Willpower. I lived my life thinking there was something wrong with me. I didn't have willpower. I was a bad person. I couldn't control anything. I could never, ever control the food. I could control a diet for weeks, maybe a month, and then I would just go nuts eating everything else. So what happened was I got God-struck. I followed him outside and sat down and listened to him talk about OA. Um, I got very excited about it. And again, 66 years old, I got very excited about it. Uh, told my wife, my daughter, I can't wait to go to a meeting. The meeting was Saturday. It was kitchen sink. So that was on a Wednesday or a Tuesday. On Friday, I said, eh, maybe I'll go next week. You know, 
I was desperate, but I wasn't that desperate. And my daughter, who's a normie, said, I'll go with you. So my daughter took me to my first meeting of Overeaters Anonymous. And when I walked in that room, I got struck abstinent because I heard for the first time in my life I had a disease. It wasn't willpower. wasn't that I was a bad person. I had a disease. I was a compulsive overeater. And my drug was recreational sugar. I got a sponsor right away. It was the gentleman that was standing in front of me who was a friend of mine. And he said to me those magic words, what's the one thing you can give up? What's your trigger food? I didn't know what he meant, but he goes, what's the one food that you can't stop eating? And I said, any recreational sugar. He goes, can you give it up for one day? Can you stop it for 24 hours? Now, my life was consumed by recreational sugar. I mean, 24 hours a day. It didn't matter if I had 15 meals. I had to have my recreational sugar. One quick story of sidebar. On the way home from work, after eating all day, I would stop every day at a 7-Eleven and get three to four chocolate chip cookies. I lived five minutes from the 7-Eleven. I had to have those chocolate chip cookies on the drive up the hill to my house. I had to have it every single day, then eat at dinner, then eat after dinner. But, I mean, that was that compulsion. So I tried it. I gave it up for one day. I never believed, never, that I would be able to stop eating recreational sugar. For 10 years, I haven't had a recreational sugar. I've had some sugar-free things, which is a whole separate story we'll get into because I became very much addicted to that for a short period of time. Um, but I haven't had recreational sugar in over 10 years. I can't believe it, and it's not me. It's God. It's God, this program, and my fellows. Without that, I'd be eating it tomorrow. So what happened? I listened to him, came to the meeting, came to understand what I was, a compulsive overeater. Um, and what I realized was the first two years in this program, I thought, well, I gave up respirational sugar. I'm abstinent. I said what I was going to do. I gave it up. And my sponsor was very tolerant and worked with me on a daily basis. And he said to me, well, I'll go through what he said. He said, there's five things I need you to do. He said, one is identify your alcoholic foods, the things you can't have just one bite of, and eliminate them. Now, to me, that was recreational sugar. Later, it became a lot of other things. But in the beginning, it was recreational sugar. He said, number two, find a higher power to turn your will and your life over to. That was easy for me because I had always believed in God. I had a lot of crazy injuries as a kid. I should have been dead two or three times. And at one time, the, the nurses said at the hospital, angels must have caught him. He should be dead. So I had a strong belief in God. I never used God the correct way. I tried to use him for me, not to help other people, to help my family, and to guide me in the right direction. But I've always had a connection with God. Number three, be rigorously honest about what you eat. If it goes in your mouth, report it to me. 
And I had to do that. And when I overeat, still to this day, if I eat a portion too big or if I add something to my meal, I report it. I have to be, this, this program taught me honesty and accountability of what I put in my mouth. He also said, read the big book, your story's in there, but substitute food for alcohol. And in the beginning, I had a little bit of difficulty with some of the big book because I'm not an alcoholic. I didn't have a problem drinking. I never laid on the side of the road in a ditch. I never lost my job. I didn't have shakes. Did I have food stuffed everywhere in my house? My daughter used to say my car was like a 7-Eleven. I could never be without food. Um, number five, go to meetings, podcasts, literature, make friends in the program. They're the only ones who understand your disease. I am so blessed about this particular meeting. Kitchen Sink, I owe a tremendous amount of my sobriety to Kitchen Sink. The strength that's in this meeting, some of my best friends now are from this meeting. Um, I've gotten so many gifts from the fellows in this meeting. They've kept me straight. And the key lesson was I learned I had a disease when I came here. It wasn't me. I wasn't weak. I wasn't, and I wasn't caring. I was an addict with food. Someone said a couple of months ago in a share they were a heroin addict with food, and I thought that was the most apt description of me I've ever had. I'm a heroin addict when it comes to food. The other things I always like to talk about was um, – when I heard the term halt, hungry, angry, lonely, tired, the triggers, that was my life. Every, you know, I ran into a fellow in this program who said, when I'm depressed, I can't eat. I had no, I couldn't relate to him. I didn't know what he was talking about. It didn't matter to me. Depression, happiness, success, anything and everything never curbed that ability to eat. Um, I'm responsible for what I eat. I've learned that in this program. I and you know, and as I said earlier, fear, my life was full of fear. My disease is always doing push-ups, waiting to pounce on me. I've also learned accountability. I'm accountable for my actions. First time in my life, I'm accountable for my actions. I need to make amends when I screw up. And I screw up a lot. You know, I'm still a I, I, I'm a work in progress. Progress, not perfection. Somebody else said a long time ago, I wear my abstinence like a loose cloak. That's me. I mean, I still make bad food decisions. Unfortunately, I'm a human, you know, but I try to make it better. Um, it's, you know, and I had a great story the other day. Uh, I'll tell you the recreational sugar stuff. So in the beginning... I figured, oh, well, I can have recreational sugar, and all of a sudden I found myself having two pieces, then two pieces led to four pieces, and I called my sponsor, and I said, I'm starting to think I'm getting addicted to this recreational sugar, you know, this recreational candy. And he said, why are you asking me? You've already answered your own question. Again, he told me very early on. Thank you. He told me very early on, I'm not going to tell you what to eat. I can direct you, but you have to make that decision yourself. So the other day, I've been jonesing for sugar-free frozen yogurt. I went and got a sugar-free frozen yogurt, and I said to him, 
Am I lying to myself that sugar-free frozen yogurt is part of my problem? And he said, self-will run riot. And I thought, wow, that's it. If, it's, if I make a decision about food, it's the wrong decision. No ifs, no ands, no buts. There's a fellow in this program who's lost 352 pounds. He sponsors all kinds of men. And he says, I can tell every one of my sponsees what a normal meal is, what a normal size is. If I don't ask my sponsor, I can't tell what a normal meal is. I don't, under, I don't know what a normal meal is. There's another thing that somebody presented in the program which I thought was so great. It was the first three steps. Realized we were powerless over food. Our lives were a mess. We became desperate. Step two, if we could have, we would have done it. Wow, that spoke volumes. And step three, had to turn our life over to another compulsive reader and a higher power to guide us because normal people don't understand our program. And it's so true. One of my dearest friends who's very much overweight, I took him to a meeting and he wanted to go. I took him to a meeting and he goes, that's a cult, man. I don't want anything to do with that. You're, you're nuts. That's a cult. And, you know, still to this day, cannot understand that I can't eat recreational sugar because the other thing I've learned in this program, one is too many, a million is not enough. I learned that from a dearest friend of mine who's 52 years in AA who said early on in the program, Bob, turn it over to your higher power, let things go, one is too many, a million is not enough, and understand this is a program of step work, the big book, a higher power, and your fellows. And honestly, a tremendous amount of my sobriety I owe to my friends in this program, people from all over the country that I would have never met, my closest confidant in this program, a person I talk to every single day, weighs 100 pounds, she's a bulimic. We are the exact person on the inside and on the outside, we have nothing in common. I ran into her on the street and it wasn't for this program, I would look at her and go, we have nothing in common. We have the same disease and I'm so blessed I'm blessed by OA. I'm an entirely different person today than I was 10 years ago. And I will just finish by saying, approaching 10 years, this disease got stronger than it ever has been in my entire program. And it was that I'm making the 10-year mark. I'm making the 10-year mark. And the disease kept saying, yeah, boy, you know, you're doing so great. You should reward yourself. You should reward yourself. Self-will run riot. Story of my life. Self-will run riot. I believe that should be about the end of my time, Steph. Is that where I am? Or? I think Carol's your time. I think Carol's your time. I'm here. I'm here. You just have about a minute left if you want. Oh, a minute left. Okay. Well, all I can say is welcome to the newcomers and anybody that's new to this program or old to this program. Um, Don says the greatest gift in the world. This is a million-dollar program. We get it a nickel at a time. 
I've been here over 10 years. I learn something every single day about myself in this program. I've never, ever, and I also realized that's the other thing I needed to say. There is no graduation. This is a lifelong commitment. I have a sponsee who wrote me this morning and said, I'm, he's lost 75 pounds and he goes, I'm beginning to worry about my weight. And I said, well, you know, I'm not a doctor and I'm not your, you know, higher power. That's who you need to talk to. But more importantly, are you eating to fuel your body or are you dieting? Because diets don't work. Diets make us compulsive readers want to react at some Most point. Time. Thank you very much. Thank you for allowing me to share. Uh, um, this is the time for questions only. There is no sharing at this meeting. If you need to share, please do so with any of us after the meeting. Also, please remember that opinions of the leader are my own and not those of Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. When asking questions, you need not identify yourself. If you've asked a question last week, please wait until the first three questions have been asked before raising your hand. If you have a question or an in-person, raise your hand. If you're on Zoom, type your question into the chat, and the tech host will read it out to the group and speaker. We will alternate between in-person and online questions. The speaker will repeat the question before answering. Okay, I have a question uh, in the chat. Can you please describe your daily spiritual practice? Yeah, my daily spiritual practice um, is I'm very, very fortunate that a gentleman in program reached out to me on an outreach call about two years ago, and he does um, a group of four today and some readings that he sends out every morning, and he sends it to me every morning. And I've sent it out, and my list has grown to now 55 people. So I have a spiritual connection and a connection with my fellows every single morning. Uh, it's one of the first things I do. Um, I use the serenity prayer the entire day. Every time anything goes wrong in my life, I use the serenity prayer. I just had some medical things. I had to have an MRI, and I was in a very awkward position. And I just kept repeating the serenity prayer and the Lord's prayer because it gets me through anything. Any problem I have is answered by that. So hopefully that answers your question. Hey, we have a question in the room. It's right here. I oh, you. Sorry. Hey, Bob, thank you for your share. Um, you mentioned that, you know, obviously recreational sugar is um, a trigger for you. Are there other food food groups that, you know, sort of attach in a similar way to sugar? You know, like, do what are yes. the other foods, and how did you discover those and find ways to sort of maintain, um, you know, your, your abstinence? So, thank you. Well, the question is, are there other, I should have repeated the question. The question is, are there other food groups besides recreational sugar that trigger me, and how have I found the solution to stay abstinence around those? Yeah, pasta, pizza, um, you know, there, there's a, I could name about 20 things that, you know, are trigger foods. Chinese food, um, it's, it's interesting. French fries were a trigger food, 
I can now have French fries because I'll eat five or six and then give them away or throw them away. Uh, I mean, and it's, I, I think it's a spiritual connection and being accountable. I have to be accountable for what I eat. If I'm going to eat something that's, that's risky, I have to be accountable and I have to be honest with myself. And I, and if I do overeat it, I have to report it to my sponsor who has many times told me, turn it over, pray on it, and move forward. It's a program that's one day at a time. Hopefully that answers your question. Thank you. I have a question. Uh, it's Zoom first. Yeah. Okay. Uh, where did it go? Um, how did you deal with releasing sugar-free products? Um, how did I deal with releasing sugar-free products? Again, honesty. I mean, I had to be honest with myself and say, if you're eating two out of the bag, you know, maybe I can control that. But when two became three, three became, well, I should have had four. I had to be honest, and I turned it over to my sponsor. And when my spot, when I said it to my sponsor, he said, what are you, why are you asking me? Haven't you already asked, answered your own question? And I mean, again, I had to be rigorously honest about what I was eating. And the one thing this program has taught me more than anything is I have to be accountable for what I put in my mouth. He can't make me do it. Nobody else can make me do it. I have to be accountable. I have to make a decision. And my abstinence is so important to me. I'm not willing to break that. Oh, I should mention this, too, and I apologize. I also do a daily gratitude list. And part of my daily gratitude list is, I started this about five months, six months ago, I will not eat recreational sugar-free chocolate today. So that's part of my daily gratitude list that I send to my sponsor every morning. Um, and I apologize for not mentioning that. But that's, I think that's helped me because I've made a commitment and again, I've only got one day. That's all I've got in this program. And, you know, someone told me, a dear fellow a couple of months ago told me, it's not a one day at a time. It's basically one hour at a time, you know, in, with, with, this, with this program. So I hope that answers your question. Go ahead. Okay, thank you. Did you hear that, Bob? Um, I heard basically how do I make up my mind about what foods I'm going to eat the next day? Yes. Was that it? Yes, it was. Okay. So here's, here's what I learned. And again, progress, not perfection. The first two years in this program, 
I made a lot of bad food choices. I was abstinent, but I made a lot of bad food choices. I reported them, and it wasn't until I really got serious, learned another valuable asset of this program, take a pause. Do I need to eat it? Ask the question, do I really need this? Because I'm one of those people, remember, 66 years, there's 55 years of gluttony in there. When I walked in the house, the first thing I did was open the refrigerator. Didn't matter if I was going to eat. I had to see what was in there. And I had to, I had to look around. That took me a long time. That didn't come overnight. I didn't break my abstinence. Part of it, I think, is my pride that I didn't want to give up something that I really attained first time in my life. I was able to beat something. But it also, I understood I'm an addict. That was the greatest gift that this program gave me, that I had a disease. And I had to be accountable for my actions and take responsibility. And that's what's helped me. And again, I'm only one person. My disease, my eating, you know, I've heard this in the rooms a million times. The way I eat might kill somebody else. The way they eat might kill me. You know, it's just, it's got to be what works for you. But I think accountability responsibility, and taking the action is the keys to that and turning it over to a higher power. Uh, thanks, Bob. What about, um, can you talk about making a commitment to someone else and how that helps you in your recovery? Oh, God, yes. Yeah, I mean, that little commitment every day to my sponsor that I wasn't going to eat recreational sugar no matter how many times it was availed. And I'll tell you, well, there's two stories here. One is I live with normal people. And there's there's sugar, there's candy, cookies, ice cream, everything's in our house 24-7. I learned very early on in this program, it's not my food. It's just my sponsor taught me that. It's not your food. You can't eat it. I, I mean, early on, we were having a... Um, um, a party at our house, and I'll never forget this. Maybe it was in program five months, six months, and my wife sent me to this sugar place to pick up a cake, cupcakes, all this other stuff. And I go there, pick it up. It's in the front seat of my car, and I'm driving, and all of a sudden it dawns on me. Holy, there's my heroin is four, four inches away from me. And in a normal way, I would have eaten four or five of the cupcakes, a couple of the cookies, and then gone back and replaced them. But I was able to drive home and say, this is not my food. And that's been a godsend to me. This is not my food. I can't eat it. And making that daily commitment to my, to my sponsor has really helped me because the, my family has been conditioned for 10 years on every holiday, give him recreational sugar. So I've got recreational chocolate sitting in my house right now. I haven't touched it because I can't. I made a commitment to my sponsor that today I wouldn't eat it. And all I've got is today. Somebody told me, you can't plan the minute my mind, my wife and I, about three months ago, we're going to give up like, Pasta, rice, we we're going to give up like 10 things for 90 days. The minute my brain started thinking about that, 
my food got bigger. My salads got bigger. More things went into them. My portion size got bigger. Because, you know, that statement, a broken brain can't fix a broken brain, that's me. I hope that answered your question. Oh, one second. Question in the room? Hold on one second. Go ahead. How, um, how do you use the tools to maintain your community? And were there any that you were, um, that you didn't want to use? How do you use well, how do I, how do I use the tools, right? To maintain your serenity, and are there any you didn't want to use? Well, yeah, here's how I use the tools. As I said, every day I send out that to over 55 people now, probably in five or six countries, and, and most of them are outside of L.A. Um, I do outreach calls. Hard for me. You know, somebody said in program, sometimes the phone weighs 800 pounds, not 18 ounces. And that's so true for me. But I have a... Five minutes. Pardon? Five minutes. Oh, thank Sorry, you. Sorry, Thank you, Nikki. Um, I have a large group of fellows that reach out to me. Um, I do readings on a daily basis. I started a, about five years ago. Um, a lot of times when I'm eating lunch, maybe it's actually seven or eight years ago now, I listen to an OA podcast. I'll sometimes listen to an AA podcast because I hear stuff in that room that makes me realize I'm not as sick as I think I am. But, you know, the message is exactly the same. So I use as much of the tools. I'm in two big book studies, which I reluctantly got into one of them through my sponsor about four years ago. Um, and it's been the best thing that's ever happened to me. And I've got another big book study. And again, I'm constantly making new friendships in this program, new fellows that I'm either counseling working out to, sponsoring, um, and I don't do a lot of sponsoring. And I didn't do sponsoring for a long, long time because I didn't think I was worthy of being a sponsor. I didn't think I was good enough to be a sponsor. And again, Kitchen Sink made a huge difference in my recovery. Coming to those meetings and listening to the people, sharing stories, the fellowship, the serenity that was in that room, it was a huge, and I, you know, I do three or four meetings a week. So, I mean, I try to do all the tools. But I'm telling you right now, making phone calls, very difficult still to this day for me. Hope that answers your question. Uh, okay, here's one. Um, what do you mean by making bad food choices while staying abstinent? Well, I mean, it's usually portion size. And again, I'll tell you a great story. So my friend wanted me to go to lunch, and I've got some health issues, so I have to eat outside, wear a mask, all this other stuff, can't be indoors, can't be around a bunch of people. He's vaccinated. And we were going to go to an outside restaurant, Mexican restaurant. And I looked at the menu and I thought, wow, look at that salad. It's only 500 calories. That makes sense. I'll go there. I'm walking up to the window. Broken brain cannot fix the broken brain. Addict. Food addict. I'm walking up to the window. 
and I look up at the menu thing on the, you know, on the board, and it goes, uh, vegetarian enchilada. And I went, oh, that sounds pretty darn good. All the way up there, I'm getting the salad. And it was the same amount of calories, so I switched to the vegetarian, you know, enchilada. Now, that's a screwed up brain. But again, left to my own devices, self will run riot. So do I make bad choices? It's usually on portion size. It's not the foods. It's portion size and it's the amount. Someone else told me one plate, and I'll never forget in a share early on in the program. This guy came in who had had great abstinence and big weight loss, and he said, my salad, I had a salad every day. My salad started out as the size of a garbage can cover. And he goes, it took me over time to reduce it down to what a normal size is. That was me. I mean, I thought, I'm abstinent on recreational sugar. I can eat this. No, this has got to become this, this, this. I'm 76 years old. Do I need bread in my life? I still eat it. You know, I fight it every single day, but I still eat it. You know, I mean, again, um, I'm a compulsive overeater. I'm a food addict. And I have to remember that on a daily basis. So I'll still make bad choices. And it's portion size, not so much food. It's portion size. I hope that answers your question. Unfortunately, do I have any plans for the holidays and Thanksgiving? I got invited to two Thanksgiving dinners, uh, one with my daughter's in-laws and one with our best friends, all normal eaters. And I told my daughter, I said, look, I'll come to the first one, but I can't eat. I'm a sugar, I'm a food addict. I can't have two Thanksgiving, even if it's one plate, I don't care any of them. That was the first thing I did was the one plate. So if I can translate together, I'll eat that. The second one was I've got to cut out certain foods that I can't eat at the Thanksgiving or Christmas or whatever it is. But that's I can't go and I can't be a normal person and go eat a holiday dinner the way everybody else does. I hope that answers your question. Thank you for letting me share. Thank you very much, Nikki. Um, 